What if, how to kill worry and anxiety before they kill you. Chapter three, what is worry? My first job was working for our neighbors pulling weeds. That summer, I would make my way across our backyard and then up a little trail through the bushes that led to our neighbor's yard once or twice a week. I spent many hot hours in their flower beds on my knees meticulously extracting every stray blade of grass or vagrant dandelion. I didn't particularly enjoy weeding, but I did enjoy the $2 an hour they would give me. I also felt like I was doing something significant. I was saving the flower beds from sure doom. I quickly realized how fast weeds grew. If I didn't come back for a week or two, the weeds would already be making a good comeback. They were bigger, and their roots were deeper and they required more of my strength and time to remove. If left alone for even longer, the weeds would overtake the flowers, occupying every square inch of soil and sucking up the last drops of moisture. The flowers would shrivel up and fall to the ground while the weeds pressed for the sky. Worry and anxiety are the weeds of the mind and the spirit. Do nothing and they will grow. Leave them alone, hoping that they will go away, and when you come back, they will be bigger and stronger than before. Eventually, they crowd out everything else and do real danger to your spirit. In the New Testament, Jesus used a similar illustration when he taught his disciples about the destructive nature of worry. In the parable of the soils, Matthew 13, 3 through 9, Jesus explained how worry can completely overtake your life, not even leaving room for us to respond to the message of the gospel. Other seeds fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them, Matthew 13, 7. Later, the disciples asked Jesus to explain this parable to them, and this is what he said. As for what was sown among the thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. Matthew 13, 22. Jesus compares the cares of this life to bushes that invade the space and leave no opportunity for the seed of the gospel to take root in man's heart. He then goes further to talk about how the deceitfulness of possessions and wealth choke out any space that might be left for the seed to grow. What does Jesus mean by the cares of life? The Greek word translated cares in Matthew 13.22 is marimna. It is often translated as worries, cares, or concerns. It can be used in either a positive or negative sense. But the basic idea is something that distracts or requires attention. In the context of this parable, the cares of life is a general statement that could refer to almost anything in life that turns our attention away from the truth of the gospel. Jesus was trying to show his disciples how easily the ordinary things of life can become a problem when we allow them to distract us from the most important truths of life. The cares of life can separate us from the very essence of life. They pull us away from the giver of life and keep us focused on the mundane and superficial aspects of life. The worries and cares of life are the busyness that consumes us daily. It is waking early with the tasks for the day already on your mind. 
It is making sure the kids are dressed and fed and out the door for school. It is jumping in the car with coffee in hand and rushing to work. It is receiving a paycheck and paying the bills. It is your regular TV shows and evening news. The worries and cares of life are everything and anything that demand your attention that never let your mind rest and keep you distracted with the superficial details of getting through another day. How can we keep those mundane aspects of life from turning our attention away from the gospel? My friend Amy, who is a mother of two young children, shared her thoughts. Perhaps the mundane isn't so bad if you've got someone close by who is young enough to listen innocently while you share about God's work amid the details of the day. We are instructed in Deuteronomy 11:19, teach them to your children, talking about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road and when you lie down and when you get up. Childlike faith matched with our children's endless need to talk seems to provide an abundant amount of opportunity for including Christ in the conversation in our home. TV would rob us of that, so other than an approved video or Seahawks game, TV is not a contributing member of our family conversations. Our talks with the kids are rich, perhaps because of their ages and eagerness to learn. When I'm away from the kids for errands and chores, I notice how precious silence is. So, I suppose, look for people who like to discuss ideas and never stop discussing those ideas with a healthy dose of childlike faith. If you don't have children or unsaved neighbors or co-workers who listen to your glowing report about the Savior, get a houseplant or a dog. It's that important. Having someone to talk to about the Lord is one way I stay conscious that He is present. When I'm alone, my thoughts unfortunately center around myself and the task ahead. Can anyone else relate to that? God is still working on me. He is good. Amy Hansen The things in life that we worry about are not evil by nature. Often, they are simple tasks that need to be done. The problem is when we allow them to distract us from what is really important, when we allow them to choke out the truth of the gospel in our hearts. How worry chokes us. It is interesting that even in English, the word worry seems to have originally communicated the idea of choking. Merriam-Webster gives us four meanings for the transitive verb worry. One, to choke or strangle. Two, to harass by biting, tearing, or snapping, especially at the throat. Three, to assail with rough or aggressive attack or treatment. Four, to afflict with mental distress or agitation make anxious. Do the first three meanings surprise you? They surprised me. Originally, the word worry had a very physical meaning. It literally meant to choke or strangle an animal or person. If you think about it, that is an appropriate description for what worry does to us. Usually when we talk about worry, we give it the fourth meaning. To afflict with mental distress or agitation, make anxious. This type of worry also strangles us. It strangles our thought life by pushing out healthy patterns of thinking. It strangles our faith by overcoming it with anxiety and doubt. It strangles our ability to love and serve others by bogging us down with unfounded fears and suspicions. Worry can literally strangle us 
if we are not careful. Shortness of breath is one of the main symptoms of a panic attack, which is ultimately brought on by uncontrolled worry and fear. The point we need to understand is that worry is destructive. It destroys our spirit as it chokes out the gospel. It also destroys our mind with fear. And then it moves on and can even take our physical health from us. Like a parasite, worry invades the mind and takes over. Sometimes it is a slow strangling that can happen over the course of years. And sometimes it can appear from the depths of our heart without warning and send us gasping for air. While worry may have physical side effects, it always begins in the mind. It is a pattern of destructive thinking that tends to snowball, gaining momentum and size if nothing is done to stop it. I'm convinced that the mind is one of God's greatest gifts to man. God gave man an amazing ability to think and reason, the ability to meditate, analyze, and investigate. When put to the right task, these abilities serve us well. They allow us to invent and create, to be industrious, to come up with new solutions, to understand complicated systems, and to engineer better systems. The same abilities that help us build and create can also tear us down if we are not careful. Worry hijacks our mind's God-given ability to do good. Instead of allowing the mind to create and work for us, worry exhausts our brain power on the hypothetical and theoretical. The thoughts it produces are not useful. They do not help us engage in any constructive activity, but rather hold us back. Worry tangles us in a web of uncontrolled thoughts that pull us further and further from the work God has called us to do. The results of worry are never helpful conclusions or useful advice, but rather fear, more anxiety, and more theories of how things might go terribly wrong. It's killing your body. Most of the time, it probably doesn't even cross our minds that doing something mentally can have a negative effect on our body. We can easily forget that the mind is also part of the body God gave us. Our thought habits can have a tremendous effect on our physical health. WebMD gives the following list of physical reactions to a worried state of mind. Difficulty swallowing, dizziness, dry mouth, fast heartbeat, fatigue, headaches, inability to concentrate, irritability, muscle aches, muscle tension, nausea, nervous energy, rapid breathing, shortness of breath, sweating, trembling, and twitching. Okay, maybe that list doesn't seem too bad to you. However, these are just the immediate effects of worry on your body. Over a prolonged period, these small problems can turn into big problems. When the excessive fuel in the blood isn't used for physical activities, the chronic anxiety and outpouring of stress hormones can have serious physical consequences, including suppression of the immune system, digestive disorders, muscle tension, short-term memory loss, premature coronary artery disease, heart attack. Yes, you read that right. Short-term memory loss and heart attack. Worry really can kill you. There are also examples in scripture where fear, worry, and anxiety produced real physical reactions in people. For example, take the time when King Belshazzar saw God's hand write a message on the wall while he was in the middle of a feast. His fear quickly manifested itself physically. The king's color changed and his thoughts alarmed him. His limbs gave 
way and his knees knocked together. Daniel 5, 6. It literally says that the king's loins were loosed. Fear overwhelmed him and took control of his bodily functions. Worry and fear can do the same to us. The process may not be as sudden as it was for Belshazzar, but if we let it go, eventually worry will take a toll on our body as well as on our mind and spirit. It's killing you spiritually. Worry is a destructive force that invades the mind and damages the body, but it doesn't even stop there. Compulsive worriers find that their own worrying can also damage their relationships. Children with worrying parents learn to despise their parents' constant fears. They also learn to hide information from their worrying mom or dad because of how they will react. Excessive worry also kills productivity. By nature, worry stops people from doing the normal and necessary things of life. Anxiety can keep a person indoors for years, locked up, a prisoner to their own mind. I have personally seen how constant fears can kill God-given passions and righteous desires to serve the Lord as a foreign missionary. One of the biggest barriers to missionary service is fear. People dread living in a strange place, dealing with poor medical care, learning a new language. The unfamiliar terrifies many and can keep them chained to their regular life, unable to step out in faith and take a risk and serve God. If worry doesn't kill us physically, then it certainly kills us spiritually. It gives us thousands of reasons not to serve, not to share Jesus, not to help the needy, not to simply trust that God will take care of us. More than anything, worry saps us of our faith and depletes us of our trust in God. It leaves us trapped in an endless cycle of anxiety, fear, and apprehension. But there is a way out. There is hope beyond our doubt. There is security beyond our uncertainty. As we look to God's word together, we will find a clear and well-marked path leading us out of worry and into the confidence of an almighty, all-knowing God who loves us immensely and cares for us intensely. Thank you, friend, for listening to Chapter 3 from What If. This is Caleb Suko, the author of the book, and I do hope that the book is a blessing to you, whether you're listening to it or you have read the book. Please consider getting a copy of the book. You can find it on Amazon and sharing it with someone else, too. Maybe it will be a blessing with them. If you haven't checked out our website, you can check it out at sukofamily.org, where... I put updates there about our life and our ministry here in Ukraine where we serve the Lord. If you would like to get updates from us on a regular basis, you can go to sukofamily.org slash pray.